Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. I want to do something today I've never done before, and I want to dedicate a sermon. Now, I suppose, there's a, I, I suppose when you do a funeral sermon, that would be dedicated to the person, of course, who has passed away. But today, I want to dedicate a sermon to somebody very special in my life, and I want to offer a little bit of testimony to you all about sort of how this series has come to pass, and it's taken 20 years for this series to come here. Today's sermon is dedicated to my oldest and dearest friend, Matt McDermott. I met him at Ursinus College, Go Bears, and he ran the radio station. I don't exactly remember how we, I think it was mutual friends that caused us to meet, and we were both hockey fans, and it also turns out that he ran the the college radio station, and for our students who are going back to college, I strongly, strongly encourage you to saddle up to the person who's in the radio station every day, because what we also discovered is our great love for music. Up to that point in my life, I had spent most of my life sort of swimming in contemporary Christian music, and he sort of elbowed me one day and said, Sam, there's a whole world of music that you need to be exposed to. And he introduced me to most of the music that is foundational in my life. I remember he introduced me to Death Cab for Cutie. He taught me, he showed me Kings of Leon, Mountain Goats, um, Elbow, Brand New, um, all these bands that early, early 2000s, um, and all of those CDs that he gave me that came in free at the radio station are sitting now over in the parsonage in a very special place, unscratched, I assure you. He taught me how to listen to music beyond entertainment. And what I love is that Matt, I don't think, identifies as a Christian per se, but he had a lot to do with shaping my own soul. And so for that, I wanted to take a moment in public and just say thank you to Matt. And it was Matt who introduced me to today's song, because I said, I'm not doing this sermon series unless you give me some music to talk to. I said, give me a couple, a, a couple songs that are fairly recent. And today, and he handed to me a several, a couple of which I may do later, uh, later, sometime down the road. But today, he said, you need to listen to Julian Baker's Rejoice. Now, as you get ready to listen to it, I want to tell you, those of you who are who are watching, that um, today's video, unlike the videos that we've shown the last couple of weeks, will not have lyrics on the, on the video itself. For those of you who are in person, um, the lyrics are printed in your bulletin, so you can follow along. Um, you don't need to sing. I guess you're free to if you want, but uh, no, no need for you to sing. But there's a reason we took the lyrics off the screen, because today I want to give you all the instruction to listen differently to this song. I want you to watch Julian perform. Really dial into it, because as much as her words are important, her body and her voice and her inflection, and yes, even her location where she sings this song today matters so much to this song. You can come back to the lyrics later. You can follow along for sure. Chances are you've already read them, sitting waiting for service to start. But I want want to invite you to watch her perform today. And so today's song, Julian Baker off the album Sprained Ankle, released in 2016. Um, I will also say on behalf of Julian Baker, she just recently came out with a brand new album. So if you like her, there's some new stuff out there to check out. But I invite you to simply take in her song, Rejoice. It was the lyric right at the beginning of the song where she sings about a plastic bag. 
And I said to myself, I've heard that lyric before and from somebody significantly more well-known than Julian Baker. I know, I'm sure many artists have used it, but somebody really prominent has sung about a plastic bag. Who in the world is it? So I hit up the Google machine while I'm sitting in the pig pen, Googling plastic bags. So I'm like, oh, there it is. Turns out the person who sang about plastic bags before Julian Baker was Katy Perry. Now, whether, in, whether Julian Baker intended that connection or not, I have no idea. But as, uh, as Ben Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie said, we write the songs, you all make the meaning, basically. And so we are free to draw those connections. And so I did. And if we permit ourselves to put these two artists next to one another, we have a fascinating dichotomy that will send us on our way today. Because their connection goes farther than simply singing about a Walmart bag blowing in the wind. Both Katy Perry and Julian Baker both grew up in evangelical churches, both left, and both have made a very large deal about it. But what they ask of us, who are left behind in the church, is very, very different. Katy Perry's story is fairly well known. Her dad was a church-planting Pentecostal pastor, and she had... she. As we all do growing up in the church, there are times you wrap your arms around it. There are times you want to pitch it out the door. You're sick and tired of it. There are, parents, there are times you waltz in and you say, I love church. And other times you dig your heels in and say, there's no way I'm going. This story makes a lot of sense to us. But her parents took her to Nashville trying to make it in the contemporary Christian music industry. Her album failed. And she found herself drifting from that particular belief system, ultimately leading her outside the church. And is fairly well known, a contentious relationship with her parents who remain in the church. But in 2010, at the top of her popularity, Katy Perry released a little tune called Firework. And even those of you who don't even listen to a lot of pop music have probably heard that. You could probably start singing it right now, which I'm not going to do. Nice try. But that song, that song, Firework, you know it. Baby, you're a firework. That song starts like this. Do you ever feel like a plastic bag drifting through the wind wanting to start again? Katy Perry uses that lyric, in my mind, as I read those lyrics, to signify worthlessness. She says, at times we all feel like a worthless bag just blowing in the wind, blowing around. And if that's you, Perry says, her suggestion as she gets to the chorus is, you just got to ignite the light and let it shine. Powerful, popular, for sure. If you feel like this bag, if you feel like you're worthless, you just got to spark yourself. You just got to find that thing that is already inside of you. Pull yourself up. Self-esteem, self-improvement, positive thinking, and rock it out. And if you connect with yourself, I think Perry is calling us to, well, then you'll find that value. This is perfectly representative, friends, of a strand of Christendom that Katy Perry grew up in that is evangelical in scope and pervasive in influence. Katy Perry may have left the church, but she did not leave her core conviction that if you're down, do better. She never left this idea that you have the power to shape your own reality. 
And one can imagine in that, those lyrics of firework, you can imagine a huge church and extravagant production, leaders like Joel Osteen, and this is no credit to him whatsoever, when he says, choosing to be positive and having a grateful attitude is going to determine how you're going to live your life. It's all inside of you, right? And that message has grown and has developed. We've mastered the message. We've mastered the marketing. We've mastered church growth, right? Well, the evidence would say otherwise. The church continues to be in a precipitous decline. And my contention is, as it turns out, that message isn't true. We've tried it and found it wanting. There are things we can't fix that no amount of positive thinking can solve, no amount of urging and want can bring to bear. If there is a theme to this millennium, it must be huge systemic pain. I want you to step back for a second and think about the generation that has been born from 2000 on. And yes, I do not count myself as part of them because I graduated high school in 2000. But think about that generation that turns 21 this year. And think about what they have had to endure. Is a generation whose existence is defined by what? It's 9-11. We've grown up in a world of terrorism. We've grown up in a world of white supremacy, gun violence, gross income inequality. By the way, all of us who got released into the workforce, in, I graduated in 2004, all of a sudden discovered we didn't have any money in 2008. We've grown up in a world of sexual abuse, of political upheaval, of bigotry. It is in our face every single day. Not to mention the fact that as of this moment this morning, climate change is currently burning Northern California. It's blowing in on New Orleans shore. While it swelters our neighbors, I know, because I watch them all walk past the pig pen and we all sweating like crazy. And it also is drying out the Colorado River. And oh yeah, <laughs> a pandemic. Friends, there are things that are bigger than us. There are things that no amount of positive thinking will erase. And at times, the church figured that we should just scream a little louder, entertain more, promote more, more positivity. One might call it more self-righteousness. So the question we're left with is, is that the only answer that we've got? As people of faith, is that the only thing we can say back? Just keep being positive. Well, I think there's a shy, quivering tone of another church exile who might suggest otherwise. Here's a little bit of Julian Baker's story. Not nearly as well known, but if she keeps putting out songs like that, it will be soon. Julian Baker grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. But her existence wasn't defined by being the pastor's kid like Katy Perry's was. Her existence was very quietly and unknown to most of her peers, defined by being a gay kid in the Bible Belt. But with no place for that in her faith tradition, she hid it, and we can all understand why one might do that. And in an article in The New Yorker, and I'll post the link to it for those who want to go back and read about it, she describes friends being exiled from the church for their failure to conform 
including one that was sent to a program, and I don't, I don't know much about this program, but I can imagine it. There was one friend who was sent to this thing called Refuge, which is a now-defunct camp designed to, quote-unquote, cleanse homosexuals through Bible study, a painful example of just-do-better theology. And so with this turmoil and with this identity kind of swirling inside of her, she struggled with substance abuse in her teens. And the pain of that existence is what we get in the first stanza. She describes her experience, yes, but I find that it so powerfully describes a generation. Trauma upon trauma has left a generation not feeling worthless, as Katy Perry, I think, sings, but rather aimless. Aimless. Because when all of our structures fail us, what can we do? When we have no place to go, what do we do? When we can't trust anybody, what do we do? And so she sings, all of my friends live in a plastic bag, blowing around, subject to forces so much bigger than them, forces that no amount of want can stand against. And so she sings about this aimlessness that just leads them in these wonderful old metaphors of just kind of walking around. One might imagine older songs of just kind of wandering down the train tracks. Well, at least you had a track to follow back then. Jump in the train tracks, wandering around. We even get a drug reference about her black veins. But I suggest this aimlessness is not because of poor choices, but because of a world of pointlessness. And ultimately, we get this really heavy image of aimlessness. What could be more aimless than to describe sleeping on a park bench on your birthday, having the cops called, and then cursing at God when she discovers that she made it through the night? In so many ways, as I talk to young men and women, young people, that's the world that makes a lot of sense to them. Aimlessness. When nothing can change, we just wander, or we isolate, or we just scroll social media. It doesn't really make a difference. Friends, in so many ways, this isn't moral failure. It's what you do when the world is too big for you and no one seems to know what to do. At the height of Jesus' popularity, the scriptures tell us that he looked at the crowds not with judgment, but with compassion. Because, as Matthew records, they were helpless and harassed. It might have been Jesus who climbed up on those fairgrounds, those wooden bleachers, and sang that the people that were following him were also a plastic bag, blowing in the wind, aimless, forgotten, and beaten down. And Jesus, not once, not once, ascribed moral failure to the crowds. He did not hurl messages of judgment. No, he, he did that. He just saved it for the religious folks. Jesus saw a people who were burdened with a system that they couldn't change, and he doesn't blame them for it. He looked upon them with compassion. But this is where Julian Baker is extraordinary, I believe. Because it's not that hard to sing about pain. We've had three songs that are all about pain. I didn't intend that when we set out, but that's what we got. It's not that hard to sing about the things that are terribly wrong. What is hard is to discover that maybe something else is at work. 
at the end of this scene where she wakes up on the park bench with the blue lights flashing. It says, she says, I cursed your name. Wait a second. Who else is there? There's a presence that she hasn't let us in on before. There's something or someone there. Who is that? And here we are introduced to grace. For Baker, I suspect that grace is the notion that something bigger than us is working on our behalf, seeing, seeking us, desiring us, calling us. In her aimlessness, in the worst moment of her life, God still woke her up. And yes, she curses at God because Lord only knows what she had hoped when she, hope would happen when she fell asleep on that bench. But she wakes up cursing God. But even so, God doesn't judge her for that. God still woke her up and gave her life. God, the giver of life, didn't abandon her. This experience, this brief notion that for a moment that something in the universe was for her, not against her, sparks enough courage for her to pray a confession. Give me everything good and I'll throw it away. I wish I could quit, but I can't stand the shakes. Here again, I believe she speaks for a generation. No one has to remind us of our faults. No one has to tell us of our sins. No one needs to say to us that the world is messed up. We know it shows up on our Twitter feed every single day from the day we were born. In another song, she sings these lyrics. She says, I know I'm a pile of filthy wreckage you will wish you never touched. When we look around, you say, you know, the world's a really bad place. We're all like, yeah, we know. There's a generation that yearns to be something different, but is powerless to change. We cannot ignite a spark because the things are too big. This is Jeremiah to a T, and this passage from Lamentations, I use it at so many funerals because it is so very, very beautiful, but it might be the, the critical text for a generation. When Jeremiah, looking at the destruction of Jerusalem, says, the wormwood and the gall, I well remember them and my soul is cast down within me. Just like Lamentations, Julian Baker sings that whether it's in her worst moments choking on smoke or in her best moments singing his praise, we are still in need and she trusts, she trusts that God hears. She has this conviction that mercy triumphs over judgment. And then that is when the song explodes. Only then, with mercy by her side, does she take a step of faith. When she can actually name the thing that has been working in her life throughout the song, she says, I think there's a God and he hears either way. When I rejoice and complain, I never know what to say. And if you watched her closely and listened to those words, I think her entire contention in her words, in her voice, in the way that she contorts her body and her face, the way she sings, is that only when grace, God's unmerited favor, is seen and experienced that faith starts to emerge. We don't have faith and then God finally starts to be nice to us. No, God is at work in our lives even when we don't know it. And this grace isn't calling us to positive self-motivation. It's calling to us as we are. In this song, it's calling to this shy, gay, fish-out-of-water drug user to come to God. 
And whether those words describe you or not, it's calling you as you are. Faith, salvation, abundant life that Jesus has promised us doesn't come from some spark inside of us. There really is something outside of us, something that is always present but often unseen, who is love, acceptance, and who is not judging us but is in the process of healing us. If faith, isn't just, if faith is just what's inside of me, well, then I don't need any of this. I'll just find what works for me. And what do you know? That's what we hear a lot of. But if faith really is love and grace outside of me, working on me, building me, seeking me, there really is a living being outside of me who cares about me, then let me join in discovering who this person is. And grace for Baker doesn't end with this creed that she sings. I think there's a God and he hears either way. What we get in the final stanza is that slowly and surely she starts to discover what a beautiful person she is and what a gifted person she is. The final stanza is full of them. Lift my voice that I was made. A bit of an odd lyric, but simply the idea that she, God crafted a voice and gave it to her that she might use it. She starts using this beautiful gift at night. At, excuse me, starts using this beautiful gift that she has. Another one says, and somebody's listening at night. The listening ear of God, what a gift. And even when she has doubts and questions, she asks, God, why did you take my friends and leave me? Even in those doubts and questions, she's still accepted. And then it lands, it finally just, it blows up into rejoicing. And it's not the kind of rejoicing that is just sort of get through, the, get through the hymn of the day. It's the kind of rejoicing that is the primal, guttural scream of someone who has discovered love. Because pain was met not with judgment, but with grace. Because space was held for all the mess-ups, all the wandering. Because someone saw grace in her life when she couldn't see it herself. And in this way, she sounds like Jeremiah again, who sees all of the pain, all of the brokenness. But one might imagine Jeremiah himself doubled over saying, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And again, there is a generation wandering in this overwhelming world who resonate with that message. The church going forward, we cannot entertain ourselves to faith. It must be loved and accepted and welcomed as we present ourselves. Grace upon grace upon grace. Now, we didn't finish Julian's story talking about this girl who was scared to death that she'd be cast out of her own faith community. One day as a teen, she came out to her father. Her father, who was committed to the church, was scared to death as to what her parents might say. And as the New Yorker article says, and I quote, her father took a Bible down from a shelf and spent the next hour finding scripture to support her, to prove that she was not going to hell. It was in this moment that Baker confirmed her belief in God. The person, the people who mattered most in her life just looked at her with compassion. Just like Jesus did when he looked upon the crowds 
And then he turns to his apostles. Remember, Jesus looks with compassion and then gives this command to the apostles when he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This is the church that we are called to. A church whose first word is always grace, not do better. A church with space enough for hurting people. A church that isn't afraid to see the pain of the world and name it. A church that can also name God's presence before people can name God's presence in their own life. A church that has plenty of time and space for the difficult questions and difficult circumstances we find ourselves in. When that church shows up, the cries of rejoicing that come from the people are authentic, dynamic, and moving. As one author, Scott McKnight, said so eloquently, he says, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you have been commissioned not only to see and hear and believe the wounded, but also to care for them, to bind up their wounds and heal their afflictions. That is what the next generation of church looks like. That is what we do with the cries of the people we hear around us. Grace upon grace upon grace. And maybe, just maybe, we'll hear one another say the words of the psalmist who pours out his heart in Psalm 42, but always returns to this refrain. Why are you cast down, my soul? Hope in God, I will praise him still my Savior, and my God. 